Hello and welcome to episode two of the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast. In this episode, Jordan, what did we discuss? We had a really good talk. I'm excited about it. Yeah, this is fun. Basically, we spoke about if you are struggling with motivation to come up with content for your business and or if your clients are struggling with motivation in order to take action to improve their nutrition, to get in the gym, whatever it is. If you're struggling with motivation or your clients are struggling with motivation, we're going to give you practical tips and advice on how you can improve your motivation and your clients as well. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Jordan. What's up, Michael? Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. When people are listening to this, well, it might not be Christmas exactly, but today is day one of Hanukkah, and I didn't even know you knew that. Of course I know that. That's impressive. You're one of my best friends. (laughs) How you doing? I'm real good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I got my protein shake. I love it. Got my monster. I love it. Feeling good. I got my monster as well. So I slept 11 hours last night. That's incredible. What time did you go to bed? Like 7 p.m. Wow. Got up at 6 a.m. What did you do at 6 a.m.? Did you work out? No, I did uh, client programs and I did a few emails. You coached Gary today or no? No, he's gone. So I have off from Gary until, well, until after Christmas and then I'm going down to Florida. Got it. To meet up with him. Got it. Good. Yeah. And you're going back to Minnesota? Yep. I'm going, I fly back tomorrow. Hang out with the family. Good. What do you got planned? Just hanging out, working. Just I love working. It. You know, got going to be in New York City. Any New Year's plans? Really nothing, actually. No. I saw you might drink champagne, though. Yeah, I will drink champagne because it took the whole year away from alcohol. You went the entire year. The whole year. That's and amazing. That, and you know what the craziest part about it was? It was unbelievably easy. <laughs> yeah. It like was actually easier for me to do that than it would have been to go out and spend money on alcohol. Because every time that I would go out and drink before, I was like, why am I doing this? Well, especially if you're buying a drink like at a bar or an establishment in New York City where it's $13 exactly. or Exactly. Every time. Even if it was like a 7 or $8 beer, it was still like waste of money in my head. And it was like, it was just a very easy year for me to just say no I like I it's really not even it was actually much easier for me to say no I'm not gonna drink this year than it would have been otherwise then it would have been to drink yeah yeah and it felt great it was funny because people were asking me on Instagram the other day they were like was it challenging for you that I just don't know if I could do it and I was like I saved literally thousands of dollars and I never woke up with a hangover that's the best yeah like it's, it was just like, it was so interesting to see like some people be like, oh man, that's so crazy. It was, and I can understand why for some people it'd be very difficult, mm-hmm. especially if that, if it, number one, if you really enjoy a glass of wine here and there, if it's part of just like your, your work culture, family life, whatever it is. For me, it's just like, I am very lucky that I never got into alcohol being like, this is a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I haven't been drunk since... I think it was the day after our friend Joey's wedding <laughs> when I years a, ago I made a spontaneous yeah that was 2017 I believe maybe 2000 I, I don't remember it was either summer of 2017 or 2018 I woke up the most hungover I'd been in a long time and Ben and I were filming a vlog and I was doing a Q&A on the beach and I had been throwing up for 20 hours Ugh. from four drinks, like two glasses of wine, two margaritas, <laughs> very dehydrated in the sun. Like yeah. who knows if it was a lot even of from alcohol or yeah. And, uh, and we were doing daily vlogs at that point. It was stressful. And I just said on the beach, I was like, I'm never getting drunk again. And since then I'm like you, it's not a temptation. It's not something I struggle with. It's not even something I enjoy that much. Yeah. I haven't had more than two glasses of wine or like two drinks in a sitting. And even those times are probably like four to six times in the last year I've had two drinks. And other than that, I'll have one drink here and there, but it's just not something I enjoy. I remember, I think it was 2016, you said you were going to do the whole year away from drinking too, right? Uh Uh-huh. Did you do that the whole year? No, I went seven (laughs) months and then I don't even remember why I did. 
I don't remember. I just remember having Bud Light Limes at some point and making a YouTube video saying I failed at it and people were so upset. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I've noticed about social media is people don't like when you, like with 75 Hard when I fell asleep, People weren't pumped to hear that. <laughs> you like, know, you were sick. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, no one wants to. And, and I can see it in people that I, you know, quote unquote, look up to or whatever it is. I want to see them succeed at everything they do. So I remember the morning after 75 hard and I was still sick and people were like, so you're restarting today? I was like, <laughs> no, not like maybe, but not today. Like, <laughs> That's actually a super interesting aspect of social media. Like the the attachment that you can get to people mm-hmm. when you see them doing something, you see them going after their goals. Like there's a lot of emotional attachment of literally wanting them to succeed. Like very, I think it's actually very interesting if you think about it. A lot of people are nervous to put stuff out on social media because mm-hmm. they think people will hate on them or not like them. When in reality, most people are cheering for you. Like speaking, I've heard you talk about that. Yeah. That parallel. That was, I think, one of the best lessons I ever learned for, for public speaking when I used to get really, really nervous before I would do a speaking event. And I still, there's still like jitters there, but it's, it's gotten way better. But I think the number one thing that really helped me get over any fear of public speaking or even on video or whatever it is, is knowing that nobody's in the crowd hoping that you screw up because it's going to be better for them if you do really well anyway. Like they want you to do well. They're cheering you on. And like knowing that and knowing that people actually have a have high hopes for you and are like really excited for you and are cheering you on changes the whole, the whole scenario, the whole perspective of the scenario. Absolutely. I've noticed that the most in fitness related social media content where there's a story or a goal mm-hmm. and whether it's someone documenting their, you know, their journey towards competing in a bodybuilding competition, whether it's like, Jamie and Matt Staples, a weight loss bet or anything where there's there's a goal in sight or an aim or even just like someone who's documenting the Big Mac challenge. Like yes. if you can go 30 days and literally watching the scale every day, the, the investment that I see from people in these challenges is um, it's really like reassuring and almost makes me want to do something similar. Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people are like, they don't know what content to make. Mm-hmm. They don't. And for me, especially after the Big Mac challenge, that was like one of the most eye-opening things for me to see. It's like, if you don't know what content to make, one of the simplest things you can do is just, it goes back to Gary's whole thing about document the journey. But I think a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean, document the journey? It's like, establish a goal, establish a time frame, help people follow you through it or like allow people to follow you through it. Whether it's like, if you, all right, for the next 30 days, I'm going to be in a calorie deficit for the next 30 days. I'm going to be in a calorie surplus for the next two months. I'm going to try and increase my deadlift by 20 pounds, whatever it is, and allow people to follow that journey. I think there's a lot to be said for just showing people that whether it's on Instagram stories, whether it's on, on your feed, whether it's in YouTube video, whether it's podcast, I think you know, even now just think about this, like allow people to follow us along this journey, along our podcast. This is the only second episode, right? Right. And like what we want to accomplish with it, what we're doing with it. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for people finding uh, an emotional attachment to wanting those people to succeed and to watch them succeed, succeed, feel like they're a huge part of the process. I just brought up to you, Andrew Schultz, a comedian (laughs) who, who got just announced that after however many years of only doing it himself, meaning, you know, the traditional media, especially in comedy, big networks will pay for specials. And that's how a lot of comedians, especially five to 10 plus years ago, would get notoriety or would get access to the public. Mm -hmm. He hadn't been offered a special or, or at least not one that he wanted to do from a big network. And he just released a video basically thanking everyone and saying how the fact that he did get whatever the offer was that he got, he didn't share the details, but it was a result of his audience and of the people who watch on YouTube and of the people who show up to his live events and show up to the shows and support him and show love and buy merch and do all these yeah. things. Like it's literally for them. Is you know, it's also interesting when you think about it. I know for me personally, I could get a hundred amazing comments on something, but there's one negative comment that just eats at me. Oh yeah. And it's always something that I have to call myself out on being like, 
why am I focusing all of my energy and attention on the one comment that was negative when I have a hundred that are positive and supportive and encouraging? I think it's so easy in all aspects of life to focus on the one negative thing when there's so many positive things going on around you. Mm -hmm. I think that's one reason why people will think, well, there people don't like me or people aren't going to enjoy this or this because that one person when reality is there are way more people who are going to enjoy it and support you and encourage you and you should be speaking to them, not worrying about the 1% of people who are going to be rude and obnoxious and won't care about it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Should we, should we transition kind of more specifically into talking about, we're going to be talking about motivation in this episode, mm-hmm. but what came to mind there, and this ties into motivation in a way, is uh, personal trainers who struggle with ideas for content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could definitely talk about that. Should we talk about that from the perspective of so how last episode we, we ended with talking about action being the foundation for motivation? Should we like sort of tie that in here? Let's tie it in. Let's let <laughs> the listeners follow our journey as we tie this together. Yeah. So, I mean, in the last episode, and if you didn't hear that first, actually, first of all, for everyone who did hear it, huge thank you for the incredible response. Yeah. Like I was literally blown away by the amount of positive feedback we got. It's so crazy to see, even just to watch how looking at the reviews, the outrageously positive reviews, huge thank you for those, because that literally motivated us for this episode far more. Like we got so excited about it. We prepared more. We got the audio set up even better, like everything. We're just super excited about it. And so huge thank you for the response on that. Um, At the end of the last episode, which was really a lot about personal trainer certifications, internships, and that we, we also started to speak about motivation. And if you struggle with motivation, if you struggle, if your clients struggle with motivation in terms of your clients struggle with motivation to get to the gym or to work out, maybe they struggle to count their calories for the first time, or if you struggle with motivation in terms of motivation to post content, motivation to create, create online, motivation to put yourself out there, whatever it is, maybe to network, to apply to an internship, whatever it is. That's what we really wanted to hammer on today. And to go back to this, I, well, maybe we'll start with the motivation to create content because I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think a lot of coaches struggle with this. I just either they aren't motivated to create content or they don't know what content to make, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of times it'll play hand in hand and oftentimes it'll be, they'll say, well, I'm not motivated to create content. And you'll be like, well, why aren't you motivated? And they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I really just don't know what content I should be making. So I think... um, and you could look at, you could see that in clients as well, right? Where clients will be like, well, I'm just not motivated to to do any fitness stuff. It's like, okay, well, what should you be doing? They're like, well, I don't really know what to do in the first place. And a lot of times you'll realize that a lack of motivation comes from a lack of understanding, a lack of a solid idea of where to even begin, right? So if we're looking at you don't, if you're feeling like you're not not motivated to make content, one thing to really think about is, are you not motivated to, or you do not know where to begin? And if you don't know where to begin, I think the best way to start is understanding what questions people have about fitness and answering all of them as often as you can on social media. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the foundation of the type of content that is most beneficial to your, not only your audience, but the people who will become your audience. And thinking about making content like you're answering the question that your aunt asks you at the holiday dinner about how to lose this belly fat or how to build muscle here, like thinking about, because a lot of personal trainers who are getting started, you know, we could say what kind of questions do your clients ask you? But if someone is literally just getting started Mm -hmm. and doesn't have clients, what do family members ask you? What do friends ask you? What do people in the fitness community ask big fitness names on their pages. If you go into the comment section of popular Instagram fitness people or people who are in kind of your subset of the industry, we'll call it, or who have shared beliefs and values with you, what kind of questions are those people asking? And make content addressing those questions like you're speaking to a friend or a family member or an individual who is right in front of you. Yeah. And, and if you look at this in terms of us discussing action being the foundation of motivation, that's the quintessence of it in terms of 
Very rarely will you just get motivated to do something out of nowhere. Usually you have to first take an action in order to then see results. And then from those results, you get more motivated. So the action here is instead of looking for a way to get motivated to make content, now you answer a question that people are struggling with. Then what's going to happen is when, once you answer that question, some random person or maybe someone that you went to high school with or someone you went to college with or someone who's a friend of a friend says, oh, wow, I saw that piece of content that was super helpful. Thank you so much. Then you get more motivated to do that same thing again. And that's how that momentum that loop works. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I know sort of going back to what you were saying, if you don't know what type of question to answer, look at other people's content, look at the comment section, see what people are asking. I know one of the more common questions that or obstacles people will feel like comes up from there is, well, what if I'm not as smart as the person who made that content? Or what if I don't, I'm not as, I'm, I don't have as many certifications? Or what if I'm still not really sure about the answer? The best thing to do in that situation is to be honest and not pretend as though you are unbelievably smart or you do have all the answers. I think one of the best things you can do is just be fully honest with where you are. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why I will never ever say in my post, like I'm an expert because I think this is where a lot of imposter syndrome comes in, right? Where you feel as though you have to know the answer to everything and you feel that you have to present yourself as an expert. But when instead you just present what you're learning and what you've learned and what's worked well for you, you leave yourself open to the possibility of being wrong, which is massively beneficial. Number one, people will trust you way more when you're okay with being wrong which sounds like counterintuitive, but it's actually accurate. When you're okay with being wrong, people will say, oh, wow, I respect that person because they're not being stuck up. They're not being pretentious. They're not being dogmatic. They're actually open-minded. And when you allow yourself to present information in a way that shows you're always learning and you're a forever student, then you don't have to live up to this made up image that you imposed on yourself that you can never be wrong. When you say, Hey, this is just what I'm learning. I've been wrong in the past. I could be wrong in the future, but this is what I found that works works best for me. People will be way more, um, open-minded to what you have to say. People will be way more excited to hear what you have to say. And then you don't put yourself in this box of, of almost having to dig your heels in to protect yourself as opposed to now you can actually be much more open-minded and present information in a way that's always open to changing. Absolutely. And if you haven't listened to episode one, definitely do because we hit on that point in episode one as well. And something I learned from Jordan that I'm starting to incorporate is repetition. Because, and and this, this is probably going to be useful for a lot of you. I, for example, at certain points when I was consistently making content, did not make content about certain subjects because I had already hit that. Like, oh, I already made a post about macros on my blog. People should have read that. If they haven't, they can go read that. But now I can't talk about that again. Whereas there's so much value, not only in reaching new audience or um, having new listeners see or hear that specific piece of content, but also we don't absorb everything the first time we hear it. So repeating important important points is uh, going to be very beneficial for the people consuming your content. Not to mention, I guarantee you, everyone listening has either experienced themselves or with clients. For example, we could use this as an example. You or your clients might know that the scale is going to fluctuate. You might know that. Logically, the scale is going to fluctuate up. You might know that. Your clients might know that. You might have told them a million times. You might, you yourself might even know this very logically. But when the scale fluctuates up, it's very easy to fall into the emotional response of, oh my God, why isn't this working? Why did my weight fluctuate up? What am I doing wrong? Maybe I should radically reduce calories to make up for it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Even if you're a coach, even if you know this, even if your clients know this, but it feels good to be reassured that you're still doing things properly. Even if you didn't learn something new, at least there's a lot of value in reassurance, in reaffirming that what you're doing is correct. I think that's a major aspect of coaching that a lot of people massively overlook is that your job isn't just to teach something, someone something new every day. Your job is also to reassure and reaffirm your clients and yourself that what you're doing is actually correct and accurate because 
you're not the only one putting out content. Other people are putting out content as well, oftentimes very misleading content, inaccurate content. And so you're also almost like battling for, for that voice in someone's head. And not to mention, Mm -hmm. you're also battling against other people's emotions and your own emotions, which are oftentimes trying to trick you and your insecurities are trying to get the better of you. And just having a reassuring voice in there being like, hey, you're doing the right thing is a very powerful piece of, is a very powerful voice to have in someone's mind. And if you actually look at my content on Instagram, I'll repost the same stuff every three months. Like I regularly repost content and sometimes I'll, I'll post it in a different way. Sometimes maybe one time it was a video, the next time it's in a tweet, the next time it's in like a, an image, some whatever, an infographic, it could be a million different ways. But when you, actually Jay Frugio was just talking about this at Strong New York recently. I think he said one of the best pieces of advice for personal trainers that I've heard where he was like, you don't need number one to have a million different topics to discuss, but you also need to discuss more than one thing. He was like, the best thing you can do is probably take five things that you're very good at, you're very passionate about. And recycle those over and over and over again in new ways. And it, it's in new ways could be maybe in an infographic form, maybe a video form, maybe a podcast form, maybe a tweet form, whatever it is. But if you really look at my content, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, it's not that many topics. It's about maybe five to seven different topics that I recycle and figure out as I get better as a coach and communicator, how to help people understand them better and reassure them and reaffirm them on a regular basis. Yeah. Denzel Washington in Remember the Titans had a very similar quote along the lines of, we run six plays, they work like Novocaine, just give it time. Or I'm, I'm I love that. that. But yeah, it's- What it's, a great movie. You don't need, <laughs> it's an unbelievable movie, but you don't need an extravagant playbook of ideas of uh, the newest trend or the newest fad or the newest gimmick, um, what's tried and true and what actually works is going to be what people both want and need to hear. It's also like the Bruce Lee quote, right? Where it's like you practice one kick 10,000 times, not mm-hmm. 10,000 kicks one time each. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's get really, really good at explaining several concepts, important concepts that both people need and also that you're passionate about. I think it's a really important part of it is if you're not passionate about discussing it, don't discuss it. Right. I think it's really, really important to discuss because a lot of, I think that's another area where burnout comes in, right? Where you mm-hmm. feel like you need to talk about something. It's like, I am very passionate about discussing calorie deficit because I have seen how many people it can help. And I've seen how it's a very simple way to get people on the right path towards understanding how to better improve their nutrition for themselves. Not saying that calorie deficit is everything, but understanding that calorie deficit is so important and can help people, especially when a world we have an obesity epidemic and really getting people to focus on the right thing, overall portion control. Mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about that. But if you're not passionate about talking about fat loss, then why in the hell would you make your content around calorie deficit? If you're more focused on muscle gain or more focused on sports performance, then maybe your content will be different than around calorie deficit. But you have to figure out what you're passionate about so that you won't burn out of it. Yeah, that's a great point. When I think action is the foundation for motivation, one of the first things I thought of was this podcast and simply starting something or for example the ask gary v show or any concept where you don't have to think about making new content like we had this on the schedule we were going to sit down together and we are going to have an hour conversation that leads to no no wiggle room for not making the content because Mm -hmm. We're already in motion. We already made episode one and we're going to talk about something together. Boom. It's on the calendar. Go. Um, That is something that's really helped me not only with content creation, but in life. Like one of the reasons that I really wanted to come back and work with you and Gary in 2018 was because I didn't have many specific concrete things on the schedule. So when you think about action, physical action, like physically having to wake up at 5.15 in the morning and go somewhere instead of sleep in, and then your day is started. And then by seven o'clock, you're awake. You're not going to go back to sleep, assuming you got a reasonable amount of sleep, and you're already in motion for the day. That like, 
I just think there's something there that's a real parallel to what we're talking about with getting moving, even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, because you can't think your way into being motivated. You can't try to feel motivated. You have to start doing something like literally anything before you start to feel the sensation of motivation, which is what keeps you going. Yeah, I think you just brought up a ton of really great points that that we should hammer on. Number one being, actually, I think that, like we said in the first episode, it took us over a year to actually do this podcast, right? Yeah. It, it took us over a year. We knew we wanted to do it, but it took us over a year to actually buy the equipment, get it set up, come up with a scheduling time to do it. And it really to a point in which we're like, all right, you know what? We just have to do it. And there was really no time in which we were like really excited about spending all of the money on the on the sound equipment and getting everything set up and spending hours and hours trying to figure that out when neither of us are really good with tech, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we just did it. Yeah. And I think it, that brings up two, something that's really important to consider is that number one, like any coach knows, you, no one's ever just going to all of a sudden get motivated, but also it's never too late, right? It's over a year since we've been wanting to do it. And I think a lot of coaches will be like, oh, I can't start posting on Instagram now because like it's too late. Everyone's been doing it type of a thing. It's like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's just stupid. And it's an excuse. It's like, there's, it's insane. Imagine to that person, if a potential client came up to you and said, I'm already 52 years old, it's too late for me. Like it's It's too late for me to start losing weight. Right. Like you would be like, it is absolutely not too late for you Mm -hmm. in the same way. It is not too late for you to start making content. It is not too late that you can't develop an audience on these various platforms. It just isn't. It's not too late to become a personal trainer, right? I know know a lot of people who either I've worked with one-on-one and you as well, who through the coaching process were like, you know what? I think I'd really like to explore this opportunity, but they're 30 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60 years old. And like, maybe I'm just too late, too old to do it. It's like, absolutely not. If anything, now is a better time than ever. Yeah. There's so much opportunity out there. So, and that's what I think one of the greatest aspects of social media is where there's never a shortage of people to help. Social media and the fitness community. Yeah. Because social media, there's never a shortage of people that you can reach to help in fitness your target audience is everyone on earth. This is everyone with an internet connection. This is really, this is a huge part of also action being the foundation of motivation. I'm glad you said that the whole topic of niching down. Yeah. Right. Yep. Something that every single marketer that has ever existed (laughs) that I've ever heard has said that I need to do. And that's actually, I just got chills because I know we actually, I remember when we spoke about this in the first year of the mentorship, a lot Mm -hmm. of the, a lot of the, a lot of the members were very almost surprised by our view on it because our view of niching down in fitness is different than really any other marketer that I've ever seen ever. Because every other marketer will tell you, you need to find your avatar, your client avatar. <laughs> and if you don't know what an avatar is, it's the who is your ideal client, their ideal age, their ideal gender. Their, you have to figure out what radio shows they listen to, what TV shows they watch, what podcasts they listen to, what books do they read, and you need, who is, what, how much money do they make annually? And you figure out, and it's like, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, I hate this. Yeah. They literally made me handwrite it. Like, who is your ideal avatar? And in my gut, I was like, this is stupid and wrong. Well, because I can help this type of person and I can help this type of person Mm -hmm. and I can help various types of people. And at that point in time, I didn't even have it have a fraction of what I have at this point in terms of business. But I was already working with high school athletes and 50 year old women and like everything in between. It's like, why in the hell am I only going to choose one? Yeah. When realistically, I think actually one of the best things that we ever heard is there. there's three major types of goals in fitness, right? There's aesthetic-based goals, so based on how you want to look. There's performance-based goals, based on how you want to improve your performance. And there's pain reduction goals, right? Those are the three main goals that people will have in fitness, right? You can either improve your performance, improve your aesthetics, or get out of pain. And- I mean, that's really the three major overarching types of goals that I've been able to identify. From there, if you really think about it, 
regardless of whether you want to improve your performance, regardless of whether you want to get out of pain, odds are you also probably want to feel more confident with how you look. So you can sort of look at aesthetics as almost the base of everything, not as the most important, but as generally speaking, that's where most people have a goal, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's not a bad thing. I think there's a lot in the fitness industry where people try and shame on aesthetic-based goals. It's like, why would you shame someone for anything that they want to accomplish? Right. But either way, getting going a little bit off topic, getting back to where this can play into action being the foundation of motivation, I know a lot of coaches who will say, they don't know what to post about because they don't know who their niche is or what their niche is. It's like, that's why it's so important for you to post about what's pa- what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. You could look at Joe Therapy, right? Joe Therapy is a really good example. He is not passionate clearly about aesthetic-based goals because he never posts about aesthetic-based stuff. He posts about mobility and stability and posture and performance. That's where he thrives. And he's done an incredible job of that, making very quick, simple, easy, and practically applicable content on that. I mean, then you could look at other people who who maybe maybe they focus more on sports performance. Maybe they focus more on strength and power development. Eric Cressy is that example. He also does a really good job of doing playing playing both lines where he'll do posture and, and rehabilitation, but also maximal strength and sports performance. And then we have more people along the lines of aesthetics and fat loss and muscle gain um, that you could pick any number of people on that. But I think the the main benefit comes in when you focus on what you enjoy coaching most. And that doesn't mean it can't change down the road. When I first started, I was really into powerlifting. And I thought that I was only going to coach big, smelly dudes who wanted to lift a lot of weight. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. But I ended up realizing that I was much more focused on just everyday people, gen pop. It ended up being like 75% women that like, I think mainly because I was very passionate about helping people with their relationship with food because I had been through that through wrestling and and my own issues with that. And And, and, And that's not a niche. Like gen pop isn't specific, like within there is the majority of the population. That's what I think is super interesting is you and I, despite having very different backgrounds, like, like you just said, when you were, how old were you when you were interning at Westside? 20, 20. Yeah. So when you were, you were 21 interning at Westside Barbell, when I was 21, I was, I was interning at PricewaterhouseCoopers, big four accounting firm, (laughs) literally getting coffees for the team and, you know, tying out the cash reports or whatever I was doing. And fast forward 10 years or, you know, fast forward (laughs) seven and, and 11 or whatever. But now we are helping very similar audiences, even though our backgrounds are different, even though you had that core experience in you know, absolutely elite powerlifting. And I was traveling to Sioux Falls, South Dakota <laughs> in auditing whatever company and waking up at 4.30 AM doing starting strength and like tinkering with fitness on my own for myself. We both got in a place where we didn't have to specialize. I remember being told, oh, you used to work a corporate job and you should focus on helping people who work corporate jobs by giving them body weight exercises they can do during the day in their cubicle. <laughs> I was like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> no. Absolutely <laughs> and, not. And, and there's probably some value in there, but it wasn't what I was excited about. It wasn't what I was passionate about. It wasn't what I was good at. And it wasn't what I would recommend. If someone came to me and said, I don't have any time whatsoever. I need to work out in 12 minutes in my cubicle. What should I do? I would say, no, let's look at your schedule and get you on a different program. But no one's going to be exercising their cubicle. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) It's not a niche. But but by both talking about and learning about the things that we were passionate and enjoyed, we, we converged into, you know, we talk about different things, obviously, but there's a, a majority of what we discuss overlaps with how to lose fat and stay lean and look and feel better. Yeah. I think, uh, if we look at, again, going back to this action being the foundation of motivation, I think a lot of people will get stumped and use, use not knowing who to target as a justification for not putting out any content. And a lot of times they'll say, well, I just feel sleazy or slimy or gimmicky or smarmy for putting out content that's like, that I'm not really okay with, or that's focused on like this, this population that I don't even want to focus on. I don't care about. It's like, that's on you. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I think if there's anything, if there's one thing that you take from today's podcast in order to get better, to put out better content to help more people, it's to understand that you don't have to target anybody. You don't have to find a certain age or a certain gender. You can if you want to, but in my experience, and I think Mike's as well, is it you don't have to target a specific audience or specific person, specific income bracket. All you have to do is put out really helpful information on a topic that you are passionate about. That's it. And if you do that, number one, there's no justification for not starting because there's no barrier except for your mm-hmm. action, mm-hmm. right? There's not a lack of knowledge. There's not a, I mean, if there is a lack of knowledge, then that's where you have to then start learning and buy books and do internships, which we recommend. Mm-hmm. But even if there is a lack of knowledge, you can acknowledge that in your content and say, hey, I'm brand new at this. I'm going to tell you what I've been learning, what I'm passionate about for me, and then go into it from there. Again, leaving yourself open to the possibility of being wrong so you're not feeling bad about it. But if you're using I don't know who to target as a justification for not doing anything at all, then you're doing the exact same thing and you're making the same mistake that your clients are making when they say, well, I don't have access to a gym, so I can't work out when in reality they could go on a walk or, yeah. and they could drink more water and they could have a salad. It's like that's the exact same issue. It's the exact same justification and excuse. Yeah. Something is always better than nothing. Always. And getting started is going to lead to momentum, which leads to motivation down the road. Here's something interesting. Do you have any thoughts or ideas as someone who consistently has performed very well on social media for a long time and, and pretty, um, pretty universally, like not platform specific, like you've done a good job across the board. Do you have any thoughts about a practical format like a once a week podcast, like a ask Gary V Q and a style show, like an equals an alternative, something where the thought process is more seamless and it's easier to just get into action. It's a great question. So there's a couple of things I would say. Number one is actually what I just spoke about before. And I was like, if you only get one thing from this podcast, I think it's a really important thing to consider. I said that very deliberately And I call it an IPA. Basically, in any form of content, whether it's Instagram, whether it's podcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitter, whatever, every piece of content should have an immediately practical action. One thing that you can do to immediately get better that day. And by you, I'm not talking about you as the creator. I'm talking about you as the consumer, you as the person reading and watching and consuming the content. I think this is where a lot of coaches and and people run into mistakes when they only talk about themselves and they only talk about what they're doing, but they don't leave any actual practical advice. For example, I could have made the Big Mac challenge just about me eating a Big Mac every day for 30 days, and I lost seven pounds, and that was it. But if you actually watch that video and you watch the whole YouTube video, you'll see I specifically went out of my way to give very deliberate and practical advice to help the individual watching it. Mm-hmm. Not just, hey, watch me do this, here's how. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, watch me do this. Here's how I did it. And here's what you can learn from it and what you can do now to get better. So I think whatever platform you're using, always making sure that the person watching it, every single piece of content knows exactly what to do to get better that moment. I think that's what really makes great educational content. Mm -hmm. You also have other types of content, which are maybe more entertainment based, but I think entertaining style content is a very different style of content and it takes a very different uh, approach Different personality, yes. different, I would say it's much easy, not, yeah, I would say it's easier to succeed at making educational yes. content than it is to making entertaining content. I think most people want to be entertaining because they look at other people who are entertaining and see that it's so funny or so engaging, like I want to do that, but that's not how you should start unless that's the type of number one, that's how, how you are. And also that's the type of content you want to produce. I think what I've noticed far and away, the people who are the most successful coaches online and keeping in mind, I didn't say influencer. I said coach. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The most successful coaches are the ones who educate first and foremost. Yes. And I'm going to say that one more time. Coaches and influencers are two very different things. 
doesn't mean that you can't be a coach and an influencer, but just because someone is an influencer does not make them a coach. And if you want to be a coach who actually goes out of their way to help people with great content, educational content to help them improve it and get better, I would say that being a coach is probably a greater accomplishment than being an influencer. And focusing your content on an, in an educational way that allows people to get better, it gives you the opportunity to capture attention in a way that doesn't require entertainment because people will come back to you because of your knowledge and because of your skill and because of your ability to help people no matter what. I know there are many coaches who are, their grammar sucks, they're awful writers, terrible speakers, but they have huge trusted loyal audiences because every single time they post something it's helpful Mm -hmm. i think and that's really where you have to ask yourself do you want to be an entertainer or do you want to be a coach not to mention the type of audience that follows a coach and an educator Mm -hmm. is the type of audience that will hire a coach that's right whereas the type of audience that wants to be entertained maybe will if if said individual gets engaged and realizes that they want to get in shape for their wedding, they might go to you because you're very entertaining, but they're much more likely to hire a coach from someone who's putting out educational content. Without question. And I'll say, because I know guaranteed people are going to be like, but Jordan, you put on wigs and you do funny accents. Yes, I do. You're doing both. I've done both, but that's within the last probably two years. I... I, I'm just going to say that I think that is educational before it's entertaining. I agree. Like when you're doing the dick tiny Australian <laughs> guy who's climbing in the grass and talking about chemicals, you're not just talking about any random subject. You're right. teaching about something related to nutrition. A hundred percent. And the entertainment is like education plus entertainment together is a superpower. That's where I think I, I, I completely and utterly agree. I think it's important to make that distinction. You could do entertaining style content, you could do educational style content, or you could do both. And I think doing both is really where you get the best of both worlds. But I think it's also important to remember, I didn't start out as an entertaining coach. I started out as actually a very poorly presented coach who had a lot to learn as a coach, number one, but also was very not... If you go watch my YouTube videos from 2011, 2012, 2013, I was awful. I was red in the face. I was stuttering over my words. I was moving side to side because I was so nervous. But people came back and watched my content because I was helping them and over the long run. Like it was overall helpful educational content. It wasn't until the last two, maybe three years until I, where I really started to get a little bit more comfortable on camera and started to bring in more of my personality. Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, the, the entertaining aspect is more of a way of getting people to stay engaged with the content, even if they're not interested in it. Mm-hmm. So that way it will get more people involved, people who wouldn't have watched the educational content because it wasn't interesting enough for them. But it still is net educational as opposed to net entertaining. I completely agree. It's similar to somebody who probably needs to get healthier, but isn't going to seek out advice to get healthier. And so you give them what they want, which is fat loss and aesthetics and, you know, the type of content that I can help you lose 40 pounds and look better and be more confident. And in that process, not only will those things happen, but they will also become healthier on the back end of that. Giving someone an entertaining and educational piece of content might mean that they share it with their friend because it's absolutely hilarious. And then the friend actually learns something from it as a result. Yep. I actually remember one of your pieces of content, which I've referenced to you hundreds of times already, where, and this is another way to make it entertaining, is where when you did equals and alternatives, but it was always a one take show. Yeah. Where, and it be, I'll let you explain what equals and alternatives, but alternatives is. It's a genius show. And actually, I, I would argue that you were the first person to come up with the infographics of like different foods. Like, well, you could have this for this many calories and this for this many calories. But like it, you did that like just before, like Mm -hmm. maybe a year before it exploded on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But when you were doing it on YouTube and having the whole show based around that, 
I'll never forget. I will never forget. You're doing the one about margaritas. I think it was. You made a margarita doing an equal and alternatives margarita, and you were like, "This is a one take show," and you were pouring it, and then something fell out of the out of the blender, and it broke the glass. And you looked at the camera, eyes wide. You're like, "It's a one take show. I can't redo this." And you drank it. It was so funny. And you went and you finished the whole show. And I believe that was at an office in Gary's old building or something. Yeah. It was just like it was so funny and entertaining because you were showing people the truth about what you were going through and you weren't like trying to make it a perfect thing. It was like, I think anybody else would have been like, damn it, I got to redo the whole thing now. But it's like, you just went with it. Yeah. I don't remember. Thank you for bringing that up. That was, that is funny. I think it was episode seven or maybe nine (laughs) equals an alternatives margarita. But the concept of the show was much like we talk about now when we talk about with our clients and information that most people need, which is calories matter was kind of the, the, the bare bones theme that you could break it down to. And I would take a popular quote unquote, healthy food, like granola, granola, honey, honey drizzled granola, (laughs) or like yogurt covered something or, or any, a vegan insert candy bar, something that was quote unquote marketed as healthy, but was actually equal in calories and often equal in macronutrients to a Snickers bar. Or what did I, I don't remember what the margarita was equal to exactly, but it was a very sugary, like 700 calorie margarita that was equal to, you know, I think I said you could have nine vodka sodas or whatever the equivalent to that was. Um, And then in many episodes, I would provide an alternative. Like instead of grabbing this when you're walking down the grocery aisle and you see this quote unquote healthy food being marketed to you, instead keep walking and grab this food, which is similar, but lower in calories, higher in protein, higher in micronutrients. And it's like a little five to 10 minute show. But the one take aspect of it was one, I didn't want to be refilming stuff. I didn't want to be taking too much of my own time. Two, I thought there was a little bit of skill in doing one take like this. Like we're not editing this. We're just talking and whatever we say is going to go out there. I think it's more authentic. I think it's less planned. And in the content that I consume, I enjoy that because it gives me a deeper connection to the, the creators of the content. And it also... This might be wrong, but it feels more honest to me, at least. Absolutely. I I literally just did a podcast the other night on someone else's show, and this happens very regularly, before regularly, uh, before where someone, I was like, regularly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if it came out wrong, but in my head, I was like, why did I say so many? It regularly happens where someone will tell me before the show, they'll be like, and by the way, if anything comes out that you don't want said, I can go back after and edit it. And I'm always like, that will never happen. Like whatever I say in this, we'll keep it in exactly as we said it, because like it, it does feel more honest. And I don't think there's wrong, anything wrong with the editing process, but I do think that like, for example, if someone sends me a list of questions before a podcast says, Hey, here's what I'm going to ask you. I never look. Because number, I'll start trying trying to craft responses to it beforehand. I'll try and make it perfect. Then I'll get in my own head when I don't mm-hmm. remember it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's like I think the best videos I've seen, podcasts I've listened to, shows I've been a part of and have listened to have always been the ones that are just – they seem real. And it goes back to – I think we spoke about this in the mentorship recently. The, the word real has been like the – most frequent word I've seen. There's a lot of words in 2019. There's real, there's vulnerable, there's authentic, all these things that I think are overused. But real is one that I've been very uh, acutely focused on in terms of whenever someone says, oh, you're so real, I've always been interested, like, what does that mean? And Mm -hmm. I found it to be a massive compliment. When, When people say that you're so real, what they're saying is, I feel like we're actually understanding who you are, Uh which I think now more than ever, is the most important thing you can be is yourself. Mm -hmm. Because when people feel, if they see that you're nervous on camera, they'll respect it. Mm -hmm. If they see that you're stuttering a little bit and you're a little bit anxious, they'll respect it. At least you're doing it. Mm -hmm. They're far less focused on perfect content and far more focused on that you're just putting yourself out there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure anyone listening 
probably remembers the first time they went into a commercial gym or one of the first times and you remember being nervous and you remember not knowing exactly how to use certain equipment or you remember feeling like your squat form was being judged. But now being on the other side of that, for many of us, you realize that the most experienced people are the ones who are going to help you, not the ones who are going to judge you. Mm -hmm. You realize that you really didn't have anything to be worried about, which which is just a parallel to the fear and anxiety and worry that can come prior to making content or before you've kind of got your, your feet under you in consistently putting out content and feeling comfortable with that content. And the same thing where when you go to the gym or you see someone on the side of the road, someone who might be severely overweight, but you see them walking, you see them working like in your head and heart, you're like, yes, like well done. So pumped. Literally just got chills thinking like, yes, Uh like that is amazing. Uh And you can almost feel like maybe that they're embarrassed or they're worried or they're like, but they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And if someone goes out of their way on social media or or in real life to try and make fun of them, you immediately go to their defense. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm because that's the right thing to do. That's, I think, how most people react, Mm -hmm. where it's like, whether it's someone who's in the gym or you're online putting stuff out on social media, whatever it is, people are rooting you on. People are cheering for you. And you being yourself is the most important thing you can be. And it's hard to focus on that because we're evolutionarily programmed to not want to be disliked, to not right. want to be extra extradited from the tribe, to not want to be ruffle feathers and get killed as a result. Yeah. But we're not living in tribes of 150 anymore. <laughs> we're, we're in a different era. And when 74 people really like what you're doing and one person tells you you're an idiot and you should quit and kill yourself or whatever they might say, like we need to consciously redirect our programming toward what the actual majority of people are feeling. And I'm telling you right now that if you're trying to help people with your content, the majority of people are rooting for you and the majority of people are really excited for what you are doing. Yeah, I love it. How how far are we in this episode, Mike? I think we're about 50 to 52 minutes again. Do you want to, let's talk a few more minutes about, Let's let's talk about some practical advice as a coach trying to help a client now. So maybe you have a client who's struggling with motivation. So I think we did a, a relatively good job this this episode of talking to coaches about how we might be able to improve their motivation, how to get them to take action, do something. Mm-hmm. How might a coach be able to get their client to do something? Like what what practical tips could we give a coach who's struggling to get their client more motivated? What could they do? You want to start? Yeah. So, I mean, and I've, I've said this before, and I think even as coaches, it's easy to overlook this, but what I found, especially in a client who is massively struggling with doing anything, the value of walking cannot be overstated. Mm-hmm. Number one, if you look at, if you legitimately look at the research around the physiological benefits, the cellular benefits, the psychological benefits of walking, even for as little as 20 minutes, it is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like it is un, if everyone knew that research existed and everyone actually saw that and the benefits of it, everyone would, everyone would walk. Like it's just so, it's just so obvious and so unbelievably incredible how little, how, how much benefit a little walking can have. Mm-hmm. Even I would say equally, if not more important than that, in the same way that I like to start my day by making my bed, I hate making my bed. I really hate it. Like even thinking about it gets me upset. (laughs) (laughs) But knowing that I force myself to do it, it immediately sets me up in a more positive mindset for that. Because as soon as it's done, I'm like, Yes. Like I actually hate it. What I hate more than making the bed is stuffing the duvet that like really like I hate it. And I do that like once every two weeks and it just, it makes my blood boil, but I still do it. Like, I don't know why I hate it. 
and I'll even catch myself trying to like cut the corners and making the bed where like, I'll leave it like a little bit sort of undone or like just make a mess of it. And I'll be like, all right, well I just threw the covers on, but I'll be like, all right, you'll feel guilty. I'll feel guilty about <laughs> yeah. it. I really will. And if I, it will stay in my head the whole day, but if I actually, I flatten the sheets, I tuck them in, I do it right. Mm-hmm. Take an extra two minutes. It legitimately makes a difference. And I think it's the same thing with something like walking where it's like, if you have a client who's struggling to get to the gym, who's struggling to work out, who's struggling to eat better, just by getting them to start by doing five minutes of walking. And people might think it sounds ridiculous that it's so little, but it is unbelievably powerful and helpful where it's like just getting them to do that is getting them to do something that otherwise, number one, they wouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And number two, they hate it, but they're accomplishing it. Mm -hmm. And so much of our job as a coach is to try and get people to find the optimism, find the positive side as opposed to the negative, the pessimistic side. And the more that you can lead people in the direction of finding the optimism positive, the more successful they'll be. But it's it's more than just saying, hey, you need to be positive and optimistic. You have to set them up with a situation that sets them up to be positive and optimistic. Mm-hmm. And that means lowering the barriers as much as possible mm-hmm. so then they can succeed little by little by little, increasing their self-efficacy little by little by little. That might be a good topic for next week, self-efficacy. But from here, how do you do that? Not by giving them a really big obstacle to overcome, by giving them small obstacles. It's like, you could think of it like a fence, a garden fence, right? It's like you have a huge fence that's very difficult to jump over. Not many people are going to be able to jump over it. But if you make it barely shin high, you get a lot of people stepping over it, stepping over it, stepping over it. And then progressively over time, they're going to get better at stepping over fences. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why just walking, just that's the small, you don't start someone off with a box jump. You start them off with steps with just walking, crawling if you want to. Make it so low they could crawl over it. Mm-hmm. Then they can step over it, that they can run over it, then they can jump over it. And they don't just derive the benefit from five minutes of walking. They, That person is almost guaranteed to then have slightly better nutrition during that day. Yes. If they do something that they hate in the morning and they go for a five-minute walk, and let's say you you say just a five-minute walk, and they walk five minutes and they decide, screw it, I'm going to go seven minutes because I actually feel kind of good yes. now that I'm actually out here, and they continue their walk a little bit longer, their day's already different. And then at lunch, when they have the option after lunch to go back and grab a dessert, but they realize, I'm not that hungry. I have this seltzer water in front of me that I can keep drinking. And I went for a walk this morning. I feel pretty good and I don't want to screw that up. I'm just not going to have the dessert today instead. Like you didn't just help them from the benefits of that five minute walk that bleeds into the rest of their day. It's You said that perfectly. Actually, I know Gary experienced this a lot as well. It's like yeah. if Gary misses a workout, he's way more likely to eat like shit. Gary was so happy Today's Sunday, the 22nd, we're recording this. On Thursday, Gary was so happy over like a 17-minute soft tissue session. That's all we did. He pushed back. He said he needed the extra sleep. He had meetings run late. We had, you know, he trains every day, so he had had three lifting days in a row. But the fact that he got down there and rolled and talked with me and did four minutes of movement afterwards, he's... He was so happy that he did that because he said, I know that at this breakfast I have, I'm going to do the right thing. Right. And I know that later on in the day, I'm not going to eat crap. I'm going to wait for my shake. And I know today's nutrition is going to be good. I'm so proud of myself for getting this in. When 17 minutes of kind of laying there and, and rubbing a ball into your body <laughs> doesn't seem like a lot, but the benefits from it are, are huge. It's literally just the getting up and doing something part of it that all of a sudden makes it worth it. And I I think anybody listening could make a parallel in your life in some way, shape or form where it's like, if you don't want to do something, but you do it, even if you do, you grit your teeth and you do it, then the rest of the day, number one, you're happier, more proud of yourself, but you also end up doing more as a result of it. You end up getting more motivated for sure but you also see more of a reason to take more action. And that goes back to what you were saying, where it's like there's more reason to pay attention to your, to your nutrition because you put effort in already. Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't want to, quote, unquote, ruin it. And obviously, if we actually look at more of a flexible approach, it's not going to ruin anything. But it's more of the fact that now they're taking time and effort and dedication and persistence to put time and effort into their nutrition. When before, if they didn't do anything, they didn't even have that five-minute walk then they would have been like, well, it doesn't matter because I didn't do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. But just because they started to do it, now they're like, wow, like 
now I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to my food. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have an apple instead of the burger, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it's that stuff. And then what will happen the next day? They'll see their weight go down. Then, oh, holy shit, it's working. I'm going to walk again. I'm going to walk again. And then your job as the coach is not to act like it's something they should be doing. Your job is to just go over the top, over the moon, excited and and supportive, encouraging and say, that's amazing. Let's say like they get, instead of doing five minutes, they did seven minutes. You go over the top. You're like, holy shit, this is how I know you're going to succeed. You're going out of your way to do something that you said you weren't weren't capable of doing before. You just Mm -hmm. build them up, build them up, build them up. Because a lot of times people don't have that in their life. So often. And I can't wait to do a whole podcast on that because there are so many people who get almost zero encouragement in their life. And when they get it, their behavior changes in such a positive and dramatic way that it would blow your mind. And just by encouraging and over cheering for the positive and Mm -hmm. for the good actions, rather than what most people get, which is negative feedback anytime they screw up and nothing when they do something good, just by getting that extra encouragement, it can be literally life-changing for your client. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, man. This, this is really fun. Good. We, uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. If, uh, if you didn't, if you thought it was awful and you just want to one-star it, that sucks for us, but we respect it. If you loved the episode, please go to five-star. What Mike and I are going to do is we're going to take one person who shares this episode on their Instagram story and tags both of us, tags Mike Vicanti and then Siat Fitness. We're going to pick one person to get a free month in our online fitness business mentorship. So do that, tag us. We will announce that within the next couple of episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. See you soon. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Bye.